As Earth Keepers, we hold wisdom about our planet within our bodies learned through lifetimes of experience on Earth and throughout the cosmos. I'm Amy Dempster, a shamanic practitioner and your host for the Earth Keepers podcast, and I'm on a journey to reconnect with my soul family, the other Earth Keepers, grid workers, portal tenders, land stewards, and nature lovers around the world. On this podcast, you won't find gurus or dogma, just a safe space where I share personal stories from my spiritual journey. Welcome back to the Earth Keepers podcast. Here in season four, I've been welcoming a series of guests to join me in some thought-provoking discussions about where exactly humanity is headed and how we can collectively create the future we'd like to see. Over the past few weeks, we've explored ideas around creativity, storytelling, songwriting, and myth to begin to imagine new realities here on Earth. Now, through the next few episodes, you'll be meeting people who are creatively working with sound, crystals, light, animals, and sacred geometry to help us remember how our reality here on Earth actually works and how we can creatively bring some of this ancient future technology into our daily lives. It is my deep hope that these conversations will stir something within you or perhaps light a spark in your imagination for what you might be able to bring forward from the depths of your imagination into this reality. But before we jump in, if you're feeling inspired to go deeper on this journey and want to support the work it takes to bring this podcast to life, I'd love to have you join me in the Earth Tenders Academy. The Earth Tenders Academy is my online course and community where you can learn more about the history and energy of the community that you live in, hold space for the healing of humanity and nature, remember more about your specific gifts and role with the earth, and see the true magic held in your everyday environment. I invite you to step into this portal with me and hundreds of other earth tenders from around the world. Tap the link in the show notes to learn more about the Earth Tenders Academy and join us in this beautiful community. And now, on with the show. chaos and change that happened in 2020. I had a very clear message come through about how flexible our physical reality really is and the power of sound, vibration, and intention to create change. In fact, episode 19 of the podcast called Creativity Plus Consciousness Equals Change is where I shared all about this message. I'll link it in the show notes if you'd like to go back and listen. But to summarize, 
our bodies are sustained by a universal frequency here on Earth. It's like a code that we align to while we're here on this planet. We may not realize it, but the Earth is just a template or frequency that we've accepted as our own in order to incarnate here. Our physical bodies are linked through our Earth star chakra beneath our feet into the energy grid of the Earth and to our higher selves and all of the cosmos through our soul star chakra above our head. In order to come into a body, a small piece of all that we are is birthed as a vibration into our soul star chakra, which then emits a kind of projection, what we might call our light body, that resides within our physical body on the 3D plane. Now, as solid as our bodies may seem, they're actually composed primarily of water, which makes them quite fluid and easy to influence. If you want to change matter, you just have to work with consciousness and frequency. Our bodies will easily align with all kinds of different frequencies. The hard work is in overcoming our brain that tells us otherwise. Frequencies our reality can be altered by include sound, water, light, and crystals. And this doesn't just apply to our bodies. It applies to everything on the earth plane, even things we may not be able to see. The formula is creativity plus consciousness to equal change. If we want to see shifts and change in our daily reality, we need to use our creativity to focus our consciousness on the outcome. Now, we can add additional consciousnesses that could be our friends or our family or our allies in the unseen realms. The more beings that are focused on the outcome, the more the energy is amplified. Add in the animate energies that our physical and energetic bodies easily respond to, energies like sound, light, water, and sacred geometry, and boom, you have a supercharged ritual destined to create change in your physical reality. Now, in the case of today's guest, Rhiannon Belleville, she incorporates many of these elements into her work with the living ceremonies she co-creates with her clients to not just celebrate life's transitions, but also to honor sacred rites of passages. Through events like baby blessings, coming-of-age ceremonies, marriage and renewal ceremonies, She helps to create vibrational catalysts, not just for individual people, but for their entire families. To create true change, we need sustained focus and energy that, of course, can be exponentially amplified by the addition of more beings holding that same focus and energy. Rhiannon is helping to bring back true community support where each individual can be loved, honored, and seen through the important transitions in their lives. She uses creativity and intention to create a lasting impact in the lives of everyone the ceremony touches. In addition to her ceremonial work, she is a singer and a harpist. And wait until you hear about the magical way the harp came into her life. She also hosts a sacred sanctuary for mentorship, ceremony, and energetic support for mothers that she calls wildcrafted mothering. And I can't wait for you to hear this conversation around mothering as a path of awakening, the importance of bringing back conscious ritual in our communities, and the magic of sound and music. 
And now here's my conversation with Rhiannon Bellafoe. Hey, well, yes, let's jump in. What, uh, what, what would you, what would you like to share with us as we come into this space together to have this conversation today? Well, let's just bring in a little sound to ground in, calling in the energies, all the divine ones, the blessed ones, calling in the plants and the animals, the waters and winds and stones. For sharing that, feeling goes straight to my heart. Little beings all around you, all the green ones and the fairy folks, and little—they're all. Wanted to say a little hello. It felt like. (laughs) Well, thank you. Yes, they—they are always happy to be invited in and join these discussions. So, thank you for offering that to them and to all of us and to everyone listening as well. It's beautiful. Well, let's dive right in with with our discussion. Um, You know, a lot of your work is around this idea of wildcrafted mothering. Tell us what that is and and what that means to you. Yeah. Um, Well, I'm really excited to share about this because it's so dear to my heart. of course, I'm borrowing that term wildcrafted, right, from wild foraging and um, wild medicinal uh, medicine making. And, you know, as I'm sure you and, and most of your listeners know, you know, wildcrafting is this idea where we go to the place where these plants naturally grow in their natural ecosystem that has a tendency to be more nutrient dense, to be richer, to be um, energetically more potent, right? So that the food and the medicine that we harvest from these wild plants um, nourishes us in deeper ways um, and in special, unique ways that cultivated foods may not do, um, cultivated plants. Um, and so uh, this idea has inspired me a really long time. And I was reflecting one day about my feelings and my passions around um, really a revolution in family culture and this idea of motherhood as a path of awakening. And I was realizing that it's really quite similar to that idea of wild crafting plants, but in this way, it's more wild crafting a life, wild crafting 
your parenting, wildcrafting your family, wildcrafting yourself. And so to me, that means like three things, especially. So the first of that is obviously that we're going back to the first mother for our teachings, for our wisdom, for our guidance. And that first mother, of course, is our mother earth. And so in the ways that we observe and feel her rhythms, her natural cycles, her enormous abundance, the way she showers her fruits, um, and in the way she is in relationship with all of the beings who are a part of her, the plants, the animals, the winds, the waters, and all of us, right? And so she has so much wisdom for us to learn from, to receive, to be blessed by. And in our Western culture, we have become very disconnected from the first mother. And I believe that that's part of our original wounding as parents is that we don't have as much of a deep connection and relationship with her to bring forth that understanding of that kind of relationship, that way of living in harmony with all of life in respect and reverence with all of life into our lives, into our parenting, into our families. And so the first part for me with wildcrafted mothering is that we need to go back to that original source and to understand ourselves in the context of a natural ecosystem with our original mother. And that when we can do that, when we can do that through our own relationship with nature, through um, receiving the plants, listening to the plants, through connecting with the animals that live near us, with the nature spirits that are around us, we can begin to experience ourselves and understand ourselves in a whole new way. And the, the depth of richness and wisdom that comes from that, which of course is multifaceted and, you know, so much that could be said about that. It brings so much to our lives as parents and families and, and just as individuals, of course, right. But particularly um, for us in parenting and stewarding the next generation of humans on this planet. Um, and I think it's especially needed at this time as we're birthing this new earth, we need to remember um, who we are. And so that's the other part about wildcrafted mothering. To me, that's about wildcrafting ourselves, meaning going back to the wilds of who we really are, not the cultured version of us, not the indoctrinated version of us, not the part of us that was conditioned to all of the cultural expectations or our familial expectations. Um, all of the ways that even our language and the structure of our society conditions us to believe who of, of who we are, what reality is. Um, there is a deeper reality of ourselves. And there is a remembrance of who we are that is awakening everywhere on this planet at this time. And the, these wilds, 
within us are the place where we source the best of ourselves. Not only our deepest strength and resilience, but also our deepest wisdom. This is where we can root into our own inner authority, where we can stand in our sovereignty to make choices that are in alignment with a deeper truth. Instead of just sourcing an external authority that has been handed to us by our society. And we have all in this society been um, indoctrinated and encultured into sourcing our wisdom, sourcing our direction, sourcing really everything that we value from outside ourselves. And we have forgotten how to connect with that deeper wisdom that lives within us, that place where we can actually begin to tap into divine essence, the part of us that lives in that ocean of consciousness that is connected with all life. That's where the true richness and wisdom really lives. And that doesn't mean that there isn't enormous um, wisdom and information out there that other people have cultivated or that, you know, scientific study has, um, you know, uh, revealed for us to learn from. All these things are very valuable, but it's even more valuable that we don't give our power away to it. That when we receive information from outside, we have the capacity to run this through our system and to know whether it is aligned with life, whether it is aligned with that truth within us. So part of wildcrafted mothering is to become a mother, a father, a parent who sources from within, who knows how to connect with that deeper inner wisdom instead of always sourcing their answers from outside, whether they're parenting questions, life questions, to begin to uh, really attune to the knowing that lives within each one of us. And it is there. It's alive within us and ready to be received by us as soon as we open and begin to trust what's there. So that's part of what we're wildcrafting in this idea of wildcrafted mothering. Um, and the, the third part, the last part of it for me is, is the second part in that term, wildcrafting, which is about crafting is, is creating. Crafting is, is artwork. It is cultivating. It's tending, right? So this is about crafting a life. It's pointing to the fact that um, being a mother, being a father, being a parent, being a human is not um, a, a static process, right? It is something, it's something that we're living into. It's an evolving creation. It's an art form that expresses through our lives. It's, it's not, you know, a degree that we get and have letters after our name and now we've arrived, right? It's, it's, it's a path of dedication to life, to the sacred, to love, um, to ourselves, to our families, to this earth. Um, and so, and I think that that is really important because in our society, along with this um, idea that we have to source everything um, from outside of ourselves, 
Um, <laughs> I just lost my train of thought. <laughs> um, no worries. <laughs> uh, let me just ground in. Oh, right. About crafting. So that it's sort of this idea that sort of a perfectionism, right? That there's there's some sort of pinnacle that we're supposed to get to or some way that we can or should be doing it right. Like that's a defined objective. And I really see life and parenting as more of an art form um, and as something that we're deeply engaging with from a place of devotion. Um, and I think that that is very important for us to keep in mind. Um, and it allows the journey to be uh, so much more fun and interesting, right? Um, it's ever evolving, no matter how old you get or where you, you know, there's no bad stage, right? It's not like your kids are better when they're three than when they're an infant, because now they can walk and talk. It's not like they're better when they're 16 and they can drive a car, that, right? Like we can appreciate that all these different stages of childhood are beautiful and have really like such sweet and special and profound things about them. Um, and in the same way, our, our lives as humans and our lives as parents um, are an ever unfolding art form and that we can be devoting and giving the best of ourselves all the way along that journey without any of it needing to be perfect, with us learning all the way. And um, I think that that can also be a bit of a balm to the tendency to judge ourselves so harshly and to, um, you know, sometimes I hear out there from people who are deeply devoted to their spiritual lives that they're kind of afraid of becoming parents because they're aware of the unresolved stuff and some of the shadow stuff that they haven't yet taken care of. And they have this idea that, um, that they've got to get all of that perfect, that they've got to be completely healed, totally resolved all that childhood trauma, totally understand their life mission and have that, you know, on, you know, on the rails and going forward before they can, you know, become parents, because what if they screw up their kids? And well, I think that that concern comes from a beautiful place and a deep understanding about, you know, how the wounds and conditioning of our past can get passed on to the next generation if we're unconscious about it. The other side of this is that we don't need to be perfect and have it all figured out that this is a learning journey and that indeed motherhood, fatherhood is a path of awakening. It is designed in itself to be the transformative catalyst that allows us to awaken, to heal and transform in all the ways that we are being called to. And so it's not something that we have to become perfect first, but is something that by engaging with, we deepen our own journey of awakening and transformation. Well, that is just so beautiful. And you know, it really makes me think partially about kind of this age that it seems like we're moving into, right? In that, um, you know, I think that's why a lot of the structures are falling away or are being revealed or are uh, on kind of rocky ground at the moment, because we're really being reminded that the, the messages and what we need is internal, right? That we have to have the information within us. But 
I also think some of these and and partially, you know, the kids that are already here, but certainly the the generations that are coming in now are here to stimulate that within us as well and to uh, find new ways of doing things. You know, I had this this moment kind of during uh, the pandemic where I thought, oh, you know, really watching what was happening with schools, especially and kind of how how a lot of those systems were breaking down and not functioning, right? <laughs> For obvious reasons uh, right. on, a, on a logistical standpoint. But all of a sudden it was so clear to me, like, like it's it's the kids that are breaking the system, right? Like the system, you know, kind of collectively isn't working in the same way um, for kids maybe that, that it did in past generations. And now we have this real opportunity to say, like, what do the children need? What, um, what experiences work for them? Or in the case of, as you're saying, like just specifically for your family and really being able to be in that place and be tapped in and tuned into, uh, you know, no matter what else is happening outside or what structures or customs I'm being told I need to stay within. If I know something is right for me and my family, then I feel comfortable pursuing that. And I think that's really beautiful that you're kind of bringing that through and bringing that in and and assisting parents through that journey. Yeah. And it takes an enormous amount of courage and strength to be able to do that because we've all been trained from a very early age to follow the system and to do what the external authority is telling you to do. And as you start to tap into your inner knowing, when that inner authority starts to give you a different message than what the external authority is saying, especially when the external authority is in the form of people you love and respect deeply, Right. Like your own parents or, you know, respected professionals in the field. It really takes a lot of strength to be able to discern what is really correct for you and to be able to act upon that. Um, And so, you know, but that being said, that's one of the reasons why I believe that um, parenting is such a powerful catalyst for spiritual transformation because before I had kids, it was really easy for me to avoid conflict. I mean, I was so trained in that. I was an expert at conflict avoidance. I mean, I, I never got angry. I never experienced any kind of fighting, any kind of disagreement. I mean, I was so good at this. <laughs> to my detriment, of course. <laughs> oh, it always, always I had no skin in the game <laughs> to overcome that, right? To cultivate the strength within myself to stand up for what I believe in the face of some external authority that is, you know, telling me something different, Right. That was so scary to me because of early experiences that I had and probably some past life stuff too, right? That was so terrifying that I, one, was not conscious of it and two, was not willing to go there until I had children. Because all of a sudden, I was willing to do things for them, scary things 
because of my commitment and my devotion to them, because of my love for them, because of my deep feeling of what was right or wrong for somehow or other, I came into this world with a very strong, um, grounded sense around parenting and a very strong intuitive knowing. And when I was having that experience in my body, but the books I was reading were telling me something opposite, I had to reject that authority and start turning to myself and being willing to meet the conflict that came, the questions from family when I decided to home birth my children, the flack that I received from people in my community, or even just, you know, cultural narratives in general, images that you see of parenting and pregnancy and birthing and movies and books and all of these places, right? They tell a narrative that is um, very scary, very limiting, and very divergent from my experience of what was actually going on and what was actually going to support my children in their thriving and in their well-being. And so because of this, parenting became this journey that allowed me to strengthen in my capacity to anchor into my own sovereignty, to claim my own inner authority, to have the courage to stand up for what I knew to be right. Yeah. And, you know, shifting gears just a bit, you know, ceremony is a really big piece of what you do and what you share with the world. And I think as we're talking about some of these, um, you know, issues that, that we're all working through in, um, in our culture today, you know, what, why does ceremony figure in so big? And what do you think we have lost in this culture in losing our connection to ritual and ceremony? Yeah, this is a really big topic and so important. Um, I actually think there's quite a number of things um, going on. And I think many people, not everyone, but many people in our society have not experienced true living ceremony. They have experienced pomp and circumstance. Um, They have experienced, um, you know, ritualized gestures and words that were created by someone else. while these kinds of um, ceremonial events, um, it's not that they don't have value, but they are not transformative. And a true ceremony is transformative. It is energy medicine. It creates a change in your vibrational state. It's extremely powerful. And so ceremony is a kind of medicine. Ceremony is a way that we open sacred space to deeply connect um, not only with ourselves, but with all the divine ones that are surrounding us and who are here to support us and offer us their wisdom and their love. Um, In particular, I believe that ceremony is especially important during those times of key transformation in our lives, what some people refer to as rites of passage. 
And it is at these natural times of great change in our lives. And sometimes these are biological changes. Sometimes these are more social changes. Usually it's a combination of these um, that identifies a rite of passage. Um, But at these times of rite of passage, there is treasure that is available. If we are able to walk through these rites of passage with deep consciousness, when we are able to engage with them and we are able to acknowledge and honor where we have been, reflect upon our intentions for how we choose to move forward, who we choose to be as we walk forward into this next stage of our lives. And we embody that and express that through ceremony that is created through our own deep reflection and shared with and witnessed by our community, a powerful and potent transformation and alignment with the new frequency, the new energy that we're choosing to step into can occur. What this does on an energetic level is makes it possible for us to release the old way of being. And not that that old way of being was bad. It's just that it's complete. And we are now stepping into the new and we're able to embody that. And by being witnessed by our community, we are seen in this new way. We are honored for this. And we're also supported in this, right? Our community knows that is who we are. And in, by being seen, it calls us forward to continue to have the courage to step into this new um, frequency, this new energetic way of being. And so in this way, these rites of passage, these natural transformations cannot just be a turn in the road, but can be an opportunity for enormous growth, enormous um, self-awareness, and the ability to really, um, truly move forward with intention into this next phase of our lives. And it's really actually quite amazing how powerful this is, like how it makes a difference in your life moving forward. I have seen it again and again. And so, you know, let me just backtrack. Some of the rites of passage that I'm talking about are for a mother when she is pregnant and preparing for birth. Okay. And um, some people call this a mother honoring ceremony or a blessing way. Um, Then birth itself is a powerful rite of passage. And really it itself is a ceremony. And then it's very important to have ceremonial support afterwards. Um, Then baby blessings. Um, And what I find with baby blessings is that this is not just the blessing of the child, but it's the blessing of the whole family. Um, Because the family is now, whether it's, you know, two parents, two, you know, adults now are becoming parents for the first time, or whether you have 10 kids and you're adding the 11th, you've got a new dynamic, a new family that's being created. Um, And so it's extremely powerful to honor this and to honor who that family has been and who they're stepping into um, and to bring great intentionality to how we want to parent as we move forward to how we want to live and cultivate thriving in our family relationships. 
Then, of course, there's coming of age. They're on the puberty time, right? Um, then there's also marriage or commitment. Um, and then there are other rites of passage that I think are a little bit more ambiguous. They're not quite as defined, you know, by strict terms. Um, but I see many people moving into their elder years, going through a rite of passage, for sure. Um, I also see many people, especially now in this age of awakening, who are going through spiritual awakenings, who are experiencing them sort of being reborn, that there, there can definitely be a rite of passage in this rebirth of self. Um, along our journey of life. And those are things that are more internal that only we can name for ourselves. It might not be, you know, obvious to somebody outside of us, um, but we know it. And when we have, when we know it and recognize it and honor it, um, these, these times of transformation can be so much more powerful. Um, and also, so here's the other thing about these rites of passage and these powerful times of transition in our lives. Transition means change. <laughs> change, which is not always comfortable, which is usually uncomfortable, even if it's awesome, even if it's beautiful, even if it's marrying our beloved, even if it's giving birth to a child that we've desired for years, right? Change can still be difficult, challenging scary, uncomfortable, all the things. So when we walk through this transformative time with consciousness, when we meet this transformation in ceremony, then we are able to we're able to meet the transformation and and reap the treasure and move with it instead of being um, it's like we're able to surf the waves instead of being like pummeled <laughs> by them. Right. Um, because we're getting out ahead of it. We are intending who we are being. We are clarifying for ourselves. And so, you know, when I work with couples or families in creating these ceremonies, it's not, we don't just like, sit down for 30 minutes and go, oh yeah, it would be really nice to have some pretty drapes over here. And then, you know, let's exchange flowers. <laughs> this is a journey. It's, it's actually like a, a deep um, spiritual contemplation and process of self-reflection and communion with the family to tune into who they are becoming, who they've been, what they want to honor about that, what's important to them, what values they're bringing forward, what changes they're wanting to make, what um, qualities that they're wanting to embody and step into what they intend as they move forward. And so this takes some time to reflect, to take on your morning walk, to take into your meditation, to take into your conversations with your beloved. Um, to And through that process, you gain more and more clarity and you meet the places that are uncomfortable instead of just dismissing and trying to get through the day with the stuff that's challenging. Instead, you have an opportunity to look at it and go, huh, why am I feeling so alone? 
what's going what what am i needing what's missing what you know belief am i operating with that is ready to be you know sent to the curb and <laughs> up leveled um with a new belief right it gives us this opportunity i have seen so much healing happen in the process of creating these ceremonies because the journey itself is transformative and then the ceremony the words that are spoken any you know ritual actions that are done are fraught with deep meaning they're very intentional there's nothing in it that's fluff everything has a purpose it's like a poem where just taking one word out would change it completely right and because of this when we walk the ceremony through when we embody the ceremony when we speak the words aloud and are witnessed by our community we are transformed because we have done all the work leading up to it and we are ready to say yes to this new frequency that we are stepping into and so then when we walk out of that ceremony we are different we feel different. We feel empowered and clear in a way we did not feel before. Something has changed. It has supported us to embody who we intend to be and really ultimately more of who we truly are, right? In our lives and in our families, but it's not this private thing that we do on a mountaintop or in our meditation cave. It's something that we're doing with our community, that we're sharing with people, that we are being seen. This is spirituality, like where the rubber meets the road, right out there in life. This is not like perfect oming in your. I don't know, <laughs> in your room where nothing disturbs you, right? Like this is real life. <laughs> this is real spirituality where we're truly embodying that and we're supporting ourselves in learning and growing on that journey. And so, you know, one of your questions was, uh, I think to the effect of, you know, what, what are we missing in our society? Um, by not having these types of what I call living ceremonies, because they're truly transformational ceremonies. Um, and I sort of feel everything, but um, we are missing the opportunity to reap the treasure and the profound um, learning and true embodiment of the higher frequency that we intend to step into in this next stage of our lives. And there is so much richness there. And so also so much support. Um, I What I see is that there's so much more understanding and ability to communicate, being on the same page with your spouse, with the rest of your family, because everybody's aligned with this vision. We know who we intend to be. Does that mean we're always that way every day? Of course not, you know, but we know where we're going, <laughs> what, you know, what we're living into, who we intend to be. And we can see the other person in that way. Instead of getting kind of 
caught in the um, the grumps of you know the daily challenges and the things that are hard in this physical life. Um, these rites of passage give us an opportunity to refresh and to see ourselves and the people we love the most um, from this higher perspective and, and let them step into that instead of always seeing them in, in the past and maybe some thing that they used to do that really annoyed you. And maybe they're not doing it anymore, but maybe you're still always ready to be annoyed by that thing. You know, those types of patterns, these, and it sounds silly, and I'm using kind of a silly example, but these undermine our relationships in an enormous way. And so I believe these rites of passage are meant to help us in our own path of spiritual awakening, transformation, healing, and growth. That is what they are designed for. And we are missing them, missing them. So we have generations of adults that have never been witnessed, never been seen for who they are, never been supported to reflect and to step into who they actually want to be. Couples who have never truly reflected on how they want to be in relationship together and what their vision for their lives together is. It's a deprivation of the soils of our life. When we talk about soil depletion with our with the food that we eat and what a problem this is, well, there is a soil depletion in our relationships, in our families, in in our culture. And, And we are weak because of it. We are scared because of it. We are not, we are just surviving. We are just getting through the day. I hear so many parents, so many mothers speaking about motherhood as as a kind of ball and chain, as something that um, prevents their freedom, right? As a burden. They're just trying to get through the day, get the dinner on the table. They're just waiting for their time when their kids can dress themselves. They're just waiting for the time when the kids can drive themselves. They're just waiting for the time. And then they're gone. And you missed it. Missed it. Everything that was there. Your whole life. People going through their whole lives. Just missing themselves. Missing life. These rites of passage are a doorway to deeply engage with who we truly are. To deeply engage with life itself. With love. Some of the things that have um, touched me the most deeply. And doing this ceremonial work with families is actually even more than the the family or couple themselves that I'm working with. It's actually all the people who have come to be witnesses. And many times those people have no idea what they're in for and don't know why they're there and like, what the heck are we doing? Right. And they are so moved. They come up to me afterwards with tears streaming down their faces going, I have never heard two people speak so authentically about what matters to them. Or they tell me, I could feel the love between them 
so palpably and it reminded me of the love that I feel for my husband that I haven't felt in ages, right? People are reminded of who they are. They touch into the living essence of love and life that is open in the doorway of ceremony. You just, I mean, you speak of it so beautifully and I have, you know, so many things running through my head, uh, you know, along those themes as you've been, been sharing, but it really does, not only are we missing it in, in our culture and, and like you said, there, there are, there are certain ceremonies, but maybe they're more the, the pomp and circumstance and not only are the children missing out on some of these opportunities to have this transition, be witnessed, be seen, but I realize how many things happen in our culture where that's where all of the focus is, as if the parents aren't going through a transformation of their own, right? When a graduation happens and, you know, children move out or, uh, or they get married or they have children and you're becoming a grandparent, right? All of these really big trans uh uh transitions for parents that are um that they're not always witnessed in and i just wonder you know what what thoughts do you have on some of the types of things that could be done not necessarily to take the focus off of the child that is going through this uh important time but also for the parents to recognize that this is a really big shift and change for them as well. Yeah. Well, you know, I think the beginning of it is just having that perspective that it is an enormous transformation for them, that that's very real and that there's treasure for them in that. And that it's important that they take the opportunity to reflect on where they've been and what that's meant to celebrate. We're so quick to just move on. Instead of celebrating the, the devotion and the care and the love and the joy and all that we've done and all that we've shared, these things are worth honoring and celebrating, right? So taking the time, even if it's just with yourself or with your spouse to speak about these things, right? And then to acknowledge, you know, the feelings that arise, to acknowledge the transformation that is occurring. And also, one of the things that I have found that's really interesting, but does make sense when you think about it, with these ceremonies that are ostensibly more focused upon the child, right? Like a baby blessing or a coming of age ceremony, right? That's more about the child. But like I was saying with the baby blessing and how it becomes not just about the baby, but about the whole family, these kinds of ceremonies, they include the parents. And so they, it's focused on the child, but there is an honoring and a recognition of the change for the parents. And typically these ceremonies for children are done in partnership with the parents, right? The parents are usually the ones that are initiating and looking for this, right? They're, well, of course, you know, especially in the case of coming of age, we're 
very much including um, that young person in the process of creating the ceremony because their self-reflections are very important. But it's also equally important that the parents get to share that, you know, so one of the things in um, the coming of age ceremonies that I've done with my sons was that there was always an opportunity for the adults to the, the important adults in the community that gathered for the ceremony to give back to the child, to, to offer witnessing and to be seen. Right. Um, and opportunities to, you know, and, and of course, I, I, so I'm going off in many directions here, but these ceremonies are always crafted to support the vision and the unique situation and needs of the family. So if the parents are finding this particular rite of passage for their child, a huge rite of passage for them, then that becomes part of the ceremony. Or there's a secondary ceremony that's a part of this process, right? So that everyone gets supported. The the child isn't separate completely from the parents and the parents aren't, you know, like, just as becoming pregnant is a catalyst for enormous transformation for the mother and the father, right? As our children grow and move through their processes of evolution, it stimulates our own transformation because we have to (laughs) up-level to meet them there, right? We have to work through the, you know, the stuff, the wounds that's left over from when we were that age, right? We have to meet that. We have to process through that. Um, And so we're doing it together. Um, Another piece about this question, which I think is very rich about, you know, honoring parents in their transformational process as their children grow, um, is that I think it's really important for parents to come together in a sacred way. And I think there's a growing awareness um, in spiritual communities of the need for people to gather together in sacred space, in prayer. And we have women's groups and we have men's groups. There's a recognition that it can be very important um, for, you know, there are groups for healers, right? There, So people who have... Um, you know, different, um, similar paths, right, might come together for a sacred circle, for a prayer group. And so I believe it's really important for parents to hold sacred space with each other, to witness each other. There's a way that a parent can understand the, the quality and the unique transformation that another parent is going through that someone who hasn't had that unique experience of being a parent um, can understand, right? Um, and so that's part of why I created the Mother's Council. Um, and I received the guidance for that about a year ago. And that the Mother's Council is a sacred circle just for mothers. Um, and this is a place where we come together just as we are, not in our perfect airbrush Instagram images, Right. We come together just as we are, whether it's been a hard day or a great day, when we're grieving, when we're excited, all the ways. And we come together in sacred space. We come together in song, in prayer, and come together in counsel. And counsel 
the mother's counsel is where we speak from that place of our own inner knowing. So the mother's counsel is actually a place to practice learning how to connect with and receive that deep wisdom from within us and to anchor into the courage to speak that inner authority and that inner knowing and be received by our community. And so it's a, you know, of course, a very non-judgmental open space where mothers just speak out of the silence what they know and they are received in that. Um, And as what I find is that as mothers are going through these, you know, waves of their own transformation, right? Because as you start to have, as you have many children, you've got different children who are going through different um, transformations at the same time. It gets a little more complicated, right? So you have one who's transitioning out of the nest. You have one who's transitioning through their coming of age on your bookends, right? And these create waves of of transformative um, shifts and awareness and challenges within us. And this is all that we can bring to the council to be seen and heard. There's enormous insight and wisdom that comes out of these times of transformation. And in council, this is a place where we can share this wisdom so that we can receive it ourselves even more deeply, but also so that our community can benefit by the wisdom that we're tapping into as we move through these cycles of transformation and transition in our lives and as we bear witness to those cycles of transformation and transition in the lives of our children. Yeah, and you mentioned song as being one of the important pieces of of that gathering. And of course, we got to hear just a small snippet of your uh, beautiful voice at the beginning of this. But that's something that I said you bring into all of your ceremonies and, um, you know, rituals and, and that type of thing. And what what piece do you think sound, frequency, music has in that transformation and change that happens in ceremony and through ceremony? Yeah, well, sound is that first step down into form from pure frequency, right? Mm-hmm. And so it's a bridge between our spiritual nature and our embodied human form. and. Sound is also one of those ways that we can begin to return to the wilds of who we truly are. In our culture, we are very restricted and conditioned in the kinds of sounds we're allowed to make. And there is an enormous amount of repression of our own expression and even our own sourcing. And so sacred sound has been for me just such an enormous teacher and blessing. The sound carries the frequencies of light and love and is a direct transmission that can be received instantly by ourselves, by our energetic nature and creates harmonious transformation instantly. It's so fast and it's so, we're just seem to be designed 
to receive sound and to allow sound to harmonize us. Um, and in the work that I teach with sound, um, I do an offering called Birth Song for Pregnant Moms and uh, the similar work in, um, in a program called Authentic Voice, which is you know for anyone who wants to learn to work with sound. Um, but this is learning how to go back to our original sound, the sound that wells up from within us, the sound that emanates forth when we connect with our hearts, when we connect with nature around us, when we feel love, communion with another, when we feel that desire to offer love and blessings. I think it's hilarious that my dog is snoring really loudly right now while we're talking about sound. <laughs> I was laughing. I'm like, he's adding his own frequency to the transmission here. It's so funny. <laughs> she just got really loud right now as we're talking about sound. She's like, let me tell you all about sound. I'm going to give you a transmission right now with my snoring. Uh, <laughs> I was laughing about that too. Well, well so, but here's the thing. Here's the thing that she's making me think of. So maybe this is why she's doing this. Our sacred sound is not always what our culture deems as pretty, right? Sometimes it's like a snore, right? Sometimes it's guttural. Sometimes it's loud. Sometimes it's sharp. Um, and the, the frequencies have a divine intelligence. And so as we learn to engage with our own sacred sound, we drop these conditionings about what is good and pretty and correct and perfect and enough and all this stuff, all this judgment about who we need to be in order to be loved, in order to be accepted, in order to belong, in order to be enough, blah, 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 blah. We have to let it all go. Cue the <laughs> <laughs> and deeply receive from ourselves. Um, and this way of working with sound is not something that I was trained in. I did not go to some sound healing school when I started doing this work. I mean, there were sound healers out there, but they were pretty few and far between. It was not big on the scene like it is now. Um, and I'm so glad that, you know, People are catching on to how powerful sound is. Um, but this learning to work with sound in this way was something that occurred naturally in my healing practice. Um, and initially, the funny story is that I tried to suppress it. So I was doing, you know, etheric energy healing work, and I kept having these urges to make sound, and I kept trying to suppress it because. Well, I was already weird enough <laughs> waving crystals around and stuff, you know, and like I thought I would lose all my clients or like, I don't know that I, I just couldn't be that weird. And, <laughs> and, uh, but I couldn't suppress it. I mean, I like, I literally could not keep it in. So then I started letting it out in like little sounds, like little quiet, little things. <laughs> And my guidance is just laughing hysterically at me being so ridiculous. Um, and eventually I learned to let it out more. And what, you know, started out as like a little something at the end of the session eventually became the entire session. And my session became much shorter because sound works so fast and so powerfully. And so 
the biggest learning for me with this sound was trust, right? And the release of all of the conditioning that we talked about earlier. This sound is natural to us. It lives in us. We are a resonating chamber. We are designed to sing. And indeed, even without, you know, vibrating our vocal cords, you know, with the amazing science that they have now, they, they measure that, you know, we are all, the vibrations that we emanate are singing. We all emanate a beautiful song and we can participate in that and co-create with that and offer that as a blessing to the world through our own sound. Um, and it's, it's something that I believe kind of has been stolen from us and needs to be returned to the people. This is not something that professionals do. This is not something that high muckety mucks and special spiritual people do. This is something that humans do. We all do this. We are all creators of sacred sound. We all offer healing blessings with our sound. This is something we can bring to our families to bring peace, to bring healing, to bring joy, to express ourselves to help move density, difficult feelings, you know, um, the sound is so powerful and it connects us, um, with, with heaven and earth. You know, it's that bridge, like I said, between the higher frequencies and our embodied form. And, and this is what we're up to here. I do not believe that this time of awakening is about Sending off planet and getting away from being human. Because why did we incarnate here if we were doing that? That doesn't make any sense to me. I believe that it is the integration of those highest frequencies into embodied form with profound grace and thriving is what we are meant for. There is a new way of being as a human on this planet. And I do believe that remembering and reclaiming our sound is a very important part of that and is also a very great teacher for that. And I really encourage everyone, you know, go out in the woods where nobody's around and or in your shower when nobody's listening and just sound. Not sing, not make a melody, not sound pretty, and not perform, but rather just allow the sound to come forth and trust it. Let it go. Keep allowing it. See what's there. It will teach you. That is the the movement of your own divine essence speaking to you. It's there for you all the time. Have this conversation with yourself. It's really beautiful. You are so much more beautiful than you realize. Okay. I might feel a little passionate about this. <laughs> I love it. I love it so much. And anybody who has, you know, been on this journey with me for any amount of time knows I'm a big proponent of, of toning just because it's, you know, right. We get all in our heads about singing a song or I don't know, or I can't sing or I whatever, but the toning is just so easy to tap into. And once you start doing it, it, and it does, it feels so good in your body. If you're outside in nature, you will notice the trees, you know, will right away snap to attention. <laughs> Do it again, right? They're just nature, the earth loves it. Our bodies love it. And 
you know, it was it was making me think while you were talking too about uh, a recent retreat that um, that I had hosted, and in one of our you know group ceremonies outside, uh, almost everybody had received a message at some point to either tone or sing or you know play something or whatever, and no one did it right. And then <sighs> afterwards, everybody was saying, "Well, I really felt like I should do this, but I didn't want to disturb everyone else's meditation, right?" And so we had had this conversation about any time in a group that that has happened where we're on a journey together. It's kind of quiet, uh, but somebody spontaneously starts singing or chanting or toning or playing or whatever. It's the, the magic that comes from that when people share afterwards, either someone starts, you know, singing at, at the exact moment somebody else needed it to move energy or, you know, at the exact right moment in their journey, or they didn't hear it at all. Like that has right. happened so many times where people are like, I was so worried. I was disturbing people. I was so loud. And like half the group says you were singing. I didn't even hear you. <laughs> so it's just, it all works out perfectly. However, it's supposed to. And so I appreciate your encouragement to us all to not hold that inside and really, you know, let that energy move and let that frequency come into form as you're, as you're saying, it's, it's like floating in the ethers around us. And we're the ones who can, who can bring it through and and share it. Right. I mean, it's such a huge activation of our throat chakra, right? You know, this is, it's so common that, you know, we receive that instinct to or to speak or to share our opinion or to say no (laughs) and then we don't because we've been trained to be nice to not disturb anybody right to not make waves to avoid conflict all the things but when we're doing that we're deeply repressing the wisdom that is coming through us and it's not just about like elbowing in to get our opinion in the conversation. We're talking about opening the channel for the divine to speak through us, right? I don't, I don't sit down and like contemplate on what tones and frequencies and what intervals would be really good. And, you know, the, the note of F sharp is really good to open the heart. And this person does seem like they've got some, you know, heart closing stuff. So let's tune into the frequency of F sharp. No, that's not, this is not an intellectual exercise at all. This is allowing that divine intelligence to move through us in a natural way. This is wild crafting. This is getting back to the wilds of who we are. Our sound is part of the wilderness that lives within us. It's part of our elemental nature. It's so important. It's so powerful. It has so much to offer to us and to others. When we hold that in, you know, and here I am, I am saying all of this because these have been some of my biggest challenges in life. You know, so like, this is why I work with sound because I have had a really hard time speaking my truth in the past, right? And it's still a challenge for me. I still tend to be conflict avoidant and it's still something that I am working with every day right? But when we are allowing that sound to come through, it heals us. It opens us. It transforms us. So powerful. It really is. And, and I thank you for, for sharing that, that 
message as well. And and you, we haven't haven't even mentioned that you are a beautiful harpist and and have some beautiful music and transmissions as well. But I would love to hear before we close just a little bit about your creative process as you're as you're touching on and how some of these things um, come through, how you are in touch with the muse, however you you see it from from your perspective. Yeah. Um, well, I would say that that is ever evolving um, and it's been different at different times. Currently, um, I feel like a lot of my inspiration um, comes through as I am, well, in two places, either in ceremony um, or when I'm working with something that's challenging, right? When there's something coming up for me that's challenging and I'm working through the energies, um, I start working with sound. And then often a song will begin to come through. Um, or when I'm doing healing work with other people. So there's just, a, I, you know, the songs just channel through as, as we're working. Um, and then sometimes those songs, I, you know, pieces of, cause we often record sessions for them to listen back to later. Um, and so then I sometimes go back to those pieces and, you know, take like the little song snippet and might evolve that process. Um, and then, you know, and then other times with, you know, particularly with the harp on, um, you know, it'll be, I'll just be kind of noodling around. Right. And just, playing, you know, just like listening to the sounds and enjoying. And then I might hear, you know, a little melody line, a little rhythm, a little something that inspires me. And I start working with that and, um, you know, and then words will start to flow and, you know, so it really, it's so different. I feel almost like every song is its own little divine being or something. Uh, you know, there are songs that um, I have, you know, um, there's one song on my album called The Lullaby. And I wrote that song singing to my sons one night, you know, singing them to sleep. And I was playing harp. Um, and I was actually trying to figure out how to play the song that a friend of mine wrote. And I couldn't figure out the chords and I was just playing around and all of a sudden I heard something. And then um, in, in that, um, in that song, there's a line that talks about the moon is in the rainbow. Um, and that refers to earlier in that evening, the moon had been out before the sun had completely set and there was a rainbow and the moon was like right in the center of the arc of the rainbow. It was the most mind-blowing thing. We just stood out there for half an hour, just agog at, you know, the gorgeousness of it. And so that came to mind and like the magicalness of that and all the, you know, when I was singing to boys, of course, then all the crickets were going and I was hearing, you know, it was, it was summer and all the outside sounds. And so it was like all the images of that just flowed into the music. And I just wrote the song right there just that was that and I went downstairs and I wrote it down and then there was the song and then other songs um I have a song that I didn't record that was um written for a friend of mine when they were moving to Australia and I was 
devastated that they were moving so far away. And for six months, I tried to write a song for them to express my, um, you know, my deep love for them and, you know, all the things. And I could not do it you know, the hardest I tried it like it was like diligent because they had a date that they were leaving and I wanted this song done and I wanted to be able to play it at their going away party I had a plan and then literally two nights before the going away party I was just noodling around and the song came through and I wrote it in two hours I just and so, so it's just so weird I don't know if other artists have a normal codified process that they have a way of doing it. But for me, it's, it's just kind of bizarre and I never really know. And I, so I kind of take every song, like it's this manna from heaven and just this gift. And, um, I can go months without writing any songs. And then all of a sudden a whole bunch of inspiration will flow in. And so I just, kind of trust the process and um have to do a lot of surrendering about any of my you know mind expectations about what I'm supposed to produce or something like that right and just let it be um a joy and kind of a magical journey I love it and I think you're right probably most most artists creatives whatever would say I can't control it. I don't know when it's going to happen. It should have to be in the right place at the right time. And there it is. So um, it's always good to hear, though, about um, about people's creative processes and how how those things come through, especially when it when it feels like, you know, such a um, a gift or uh, a channeled message that has come through as opposed to forcing yourself to sit down and create something specific in a certain window. Right. Well, you know, when um, when I received the harp, it was in a very unique way, and and because of that, I I don't I don't take it for granted. Um, so I I play the full harp. Um, for people who don't know the Celtic harp, um, not the orchestral harp. And I began playing, I don't know, 13, 14 years ago, something like that. Um, and before that, I had never actually, I didn't know there was a folk harp. I had only, only knew of the orchestral harp. And then at the yoga center where I worked as a healer, um, there was a workshop being offered by a woman who was doing, you know, a, a spiritual workshop and she was going to be incorporating music and it sounded really cool. So I went and um, she was a harpist. And so she was out in the hall um, greeting everybody. And um, so I was filing in with everyone and she had all her stuff, including her harp set up, um, you know, in the middle of the room and everybody's filing in to find their seats. And as we walked in and approached the harp, I heard the harp play unstruck and when I say here I mean the kind of sound that is like inside your body and makes all time stop and it was like and everything just went 
And I, my heart just blew open. And then I opened my eyes. People were bumping into me because I had just stopped, you know, in this like shock of this experience. And I had no idea what had just happened to me, but I knew that I was going to play the harp. And then in meditation, some weeks later, I was visited by a group of star beings. And they told me the story of the harp. And I'm going to tell it to you now, just a little abridged version. And what they told me was that they had brought the harp to the planet many, 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 many thousands of years ago. And that they had seeded the harp in every culture around the world. And as we know, it is the root of all stringed instruments around the world. And they said that the harp is a portal for the higher dimensional frequencies of the stars of divine love. And that the harp has been dormant for all these years, waiting for humanity to awaken. And they say, when a human that is awakening to a certain frequency plays the harp, the portal opens. And those frequencies of divine love from the star beings will pour through. And I think it's very interesting that there's been a resurgence of interest uh, in the harp in the last 50 years. And many people are called to the harp. I meet a lot of people at events and you know, workshops and concerts and things um, who come up to me and I can just, I can see it. They've got it in their face. It's in their eyes and they have this, could I just touch it? <laughs> and I can tell, I just, I'm like, sweetheart, you're a harpist. You're being called. You should just give in now because it'll be easier. <laughs> Let me give you some contacts. <laughs> and they come and they touch the harp and their just whole being is lit up because they're meant to play. And so the harp is in partnership with us. And um, I believe that this is why the harp has been associated with religious music and healing in cultures all around the world. Um, and so whether or not you believe this story is true, for me, it has inspired a very deep respect and reverence for the harp and for what it means to pluck its strings anytime that I sit down to play. And that also I'm not going to force the harp to make music for me, but rather we'll open the doorway together and hear the song of stars that wants to come through. What a beautiful story and how remarkable, you know, that it's not, um, even to pick up an instrument like that, not as a child, right? That, um, and to, to connect with it in that way is just so beautiful. And, and of course, like it was this divine gift, right? To earth 
into humanity. And of course, cultures have been captivated by the harp for thousands and thousands of years. And I just, I have to share a little personal story that, that popped, it, you know, came to me while, while you were sharing that, because I just realized that it connects all the pieces of our uh, conversation here. And that, so I grew up uh, playing music and, and loving music. I played the flute for years and years and years and um, was also in uh, the 4-H program, just, you know, I grew up on a farm and that was a big part of my life growing up and I was very active and participating. And so you can, the, you age out of the program at 19. So it's another year or two after high school, if you continue on. And so my, my last year, my last, I think it was like a really big statewide conference that I was participating in. Uh, I think the only harpist I ever knew growing up, right? Like all the different music things I did, all that. I don't know that I knew any other harpist. I knew one <laughs> that, uh, who suggested that um, we play a piece together at uh, this event on, um, you know, the closing event of this uh, conference. And so I was reminded while you were talking, um, not only that this was like a bit of ceremony, right? In that like the end of this um, this transition of this childhood program and, and into my adulthood that included music in this way. Um, but we also played the song, The Rose, which I had forgotten until uh, just now, which has a lot of significance for me in my spiritual journey and path as well. And so I just wonder how much of that came through from the harp and from the other beings that were involved in that in that process as well, because it was a uh, special event and opportunity to get uh, to get to yeah. do. So thank you for reminding me of that. <laughs> Bringing that through. Well, obviously you have many beautiful offerings, some of which um, we've discussed and as well as your music available, which I um, will include pieces of here throughout the uh, the podcast. But uh, I also highly suggest you, you go listen as well. But where can people find you and connect with you out in the internet world? <laughs> <laughs> yeah well I'd rather you come visit me in Connecticut because I really like being in person um but the internet's pretty good too so you <laughs> if can you're not nearby in... what's that <laughs> if you're not nearby Connecticut. exactly yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um so it's wildcraftedmothering.com and then I'm on Instagram on wildcraftedmothering and then Facebook just by my name Rhiannon Bellevue so and yeah, there's lots of, you know, resources, writings, reflections on the website, and you can also reach out for a connection call. And um, if you have questions or things that you want to find out more about, then I'd be happy to have a conversation. I'm really excited. You know, I, I share on the website about this, but, you know, the wildcrafted mothering's offerings are, you know, really focused around the mother and and also the family and the rites of passage. But it's really a bigger mission about a revolution in family culture, and and even more than that, just a revolution in culture in who we choose to be and the remembrance of who we truly are together in this world, living in reverence with life 
And so I'm really excited to um, be bringing that message forth and to be continuing that conversation with you and with other people um, who are exploring this and, you know, asking these deep questions of how do we, you know, shed that cultural conditioning that is, you know, so repressive and attuned to the truth of who we are. And this, you know, I am on this journey too. I don't have it all figured out. You know, doing this work is part of how I engage in the same way that I talked about how motherhood is a sacred path of awakening. And it's not that we're perfect ahead of time. It's that in and through the journey and the process of it, we are transformed. And so I'm just really excited to connect with others who want to explore this possibility. Well, thank you so much for sharing so much of yourself here with us today. And thank you for being here. Well, it's been such a pleasure and such an honor. Thank you so much for inviting me to join you on your podcast. And I'm really delighted with the work and the leadership that you are bringing into our communities and um, just so much blessings on, on your work and your life. And um, thank you for having me. Thank you. Thank you very much. Sending my deepest gratitude to Rhiannon for this beautiful discussion. And I hope it sparks something in you to bring ritual and ceremony into your life in a conscious way to see what kind of change can ripple out into your reality. You heard just a snippet of Rhiannon's song, I'll Be Singing for You, at the beginning of the episode. but. I'd like to leave you here at the end with the entire song. I think it will especially resonate with you if you're a mother, but it really speaks to the circle of life for us all. If you enjoyed this episode and you think these ideas are worth spreading, I hope you'll share it with others. In the meantime, thanks for listening. And thanks for being here on the earth at this moment in time. I'll see you back here next week.
when the sun is high in a summer sky and high up on the sand oh, and your building castles and diving deeper I'll be singing for you and when clouds roll in and your sky turns gray and the rain comes pouring down oh, and your eyes like rivers flood their banks oh I'll be singing for you
the grass is green upon me and my body is given back to the earth oh my spirit will be singing for you Thank you, thank you from the bottom of my heart for listening to the Earth Keepers podcast. I'm so honored to share this journey with you. I would love it if you join me and other Earth Keepers from around the world in the Following Hawks Earth Keepers community on Facebook. To find the show notes, additional resources, or learn more about working with me, go to earthkeeperspodcast.com. Until next time, I'll see you in the multiverse.